Well, I know it's the beginning of fall break, but I see a couple kids in our midst. Um, hi, Jake. You're waving for me from back. All right. Jake, will you come up here with me for just a minute? Ruthie Jean, you want to come up too? Is anybody else hiding? Trey, come on up. Couldn't see you. All right, we're going to play a little game this morning before you go to be with Miss Rebecca. Okay, can you do that? All right, and it's a game that's usually you run in this game, but we're just going to say we're going to walk fast in this game, okay? It's a version of red light, green light. Have you played that game before? Yeah. All right, and when it's red light, you have to freeze. When it's green light, you have to go, right? Okay, so we're going to start way over here, way over at that wall. All right, but we're going to change it just a little bit to go with our story today that I'm going to talk about. In our story today, Jesus was teaching a group of people, and there were some kids that wanted to come and see Jesus. Guess who those kids are? Yeah, Jake, you got it. It's you guys. Okay? So there was a little bit of a battle of red light, green light that happened when the kids wanted to come see Jesus because the disciples, Jesus' followers, they were kind of like the red light. They kept saying, stop, right? But Jesus kept saying, come on. He was the green light, okay? So if I say, Jesus says come, you start walking. If I say, disciples say stop, you have to stop. All right, you got it? Make sense? Okay, don't knock each other over, all right? Be nice. We are in church. Okay, um, Jesus says come, come on. Oh, but the disciples, they said stop. You know, you better freeze. But Jesus says come. Disciples say stop. Jesus says come. Disciples say stop. <laughs> Jesus says come. Ah, oh, you made it. You made it. All right, high five, high five, high five. Okay, so don't go yet. Don't go yet. So who, who had it right, the disciples or Jesus? Easy question, right? Jesus, the disciples, they were so confused. They didn't want Jesus to be bothered, but Jesus said, no, let the children come to me, right? And did you know Jesus still says that today, right? That church and believing in Jesus and worshiping Jesus and reading the Bible, it's for everybody, no matter how big or how small, how old or how young. Jesus wants all people to come to him. So will you guys remember that? That even if you may be the smallest one in the whole church, you're still welcome to be a part. That small, that small, even that small, right? Mini school, all right? Will you guys say a prayer with me? Just put your hands together. All right, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for always welcoming me into your house. Thank you for loving me no matter what. Amen. Thanks, you guys. All right, you can go with Miss Rebecca now. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest, uh, an author, and one of my favorite modern-day theologians. Is anyone familiar with Richard Rohr? Okay, we got a few hands. Good. He has described the Christian faith saying this. The Christian faith was a lifestyle long before it was a belief system. 
I love that quote, right? It's, it's so simple, but reminds us that, that the way we live out our faith, the way we live out our lives as Christians is so much more important than ascribing to some sort of code or system of beliefs. And that has been the, the source, the core of our sermon series this month. That we have sought to answer the question, what do you believe? Not by listing out some bulleted list of profound things we can say about God. But changing that question from what do you believe to what's your story? So that we can then tell those powerful transforming stories of the way God's love has come into our lives of that relationship that we have built with Christ that changes how we face the world every day we wake up. That the Christian faith for us is truly a lifestyle. And so we tell our stories in that way. We began two weeks ago with the story of Mary and Martha and as they welcomed Jesus into their home and we told our own stories of what it means to to welcome one another and how that illustrates the way Christ has welcomed us. Last week we told that familiar story of the prodigal son and were reminded that forgiveness changes everything. That that we, as people of faith, have the power to offer forgiveness and are able to receive forgiveness for all and from all. We were invited to put ourselves into the shoes of that younger son who went off on his own. And then imagine what it was like to come to that place where we needed to ask for forgiveness. We were also invited to put ourselves in the the place of that father. And what it's like to come to a place where we can offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us so deeply. These these powerful stories of the faith, they don't just come from the Bible, right? They are our own stories as well. We just have to be brave enough to share them. Because the way we live points to what we believe. And so we've been asking, what's your story? The summer before my sophomore year of high school, my dad came home from work. We were living over in West Cobb, had lived there basically my entire life. My dad came home and he said, guess what? I got a new job today. Congratulations, dad. What is it? It's in Minnesota. Where? Uh, Yeah, it's in this town called Albert Lee Minnesota. Well, we pull up the map. You can't really find Albert Lee on the map at first glance. Small little town, southeast corner of Minnesota. 
And so we didn't really have much of a choice, right? Off we went to Albert Lee, Minnesota. It was a totally new experience for me, complete culture shock to go from suburban Atlanta to a small, mostly farming type community in Minnesota where the people who lived there had lived there their whole lives. Felt like an outsider. So I did what I could to try and find my place. I was a dancer growing up and and my new school had a dance team. I thought, this is it, this is my end. So I, I tried out for the team and I made it. And I began to make some headway into making friends and starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. That February of our first year there, I got sick. My mom came down to my room. I hadn't felt good the night before, and so she was planning on taking me to the doctor that next morning. She, she came down to my room to tell me she was taking my sisters to school and um, that she'd be back to take me to the doctor, and she found me unconscious in my room. Um, calls to 911, an ambulance ride to the hospital, turned into a helicopter ride to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I had meningitis, meningococcal meningitis. I uh, remained unconscious for 24 hours before I woke up and then was in the hospital for a week. It was during that time, as I was in the hospital, an hour away from this new place we had moved that was now supposed to be home, that the door of my hospital room just kept opening that people had driven the hour to come and see me, to check on me. Pretty soon, the walls of my hospital room were covered in cards. There was a huge banner that everyone on the dance team had signed. It was a remarkable feeling to go from feeling like such an outsider, someone standing on the outside just wanting to be in, to realizing that I was there, that, that they had welcomed me in, that I belonged. Even the fact that all of those girls on my dance team, they had to get shots because of me. Um, so that they wouldn't contract the meningitis. And so I thought, oh gosh, okay, I'm the new girl. I get sick. Now everyone has to get shots. (laughs) Nobody likes to get shots. But they did it gladly because I had become a part of them. I'll never forget that feeling of knowing that I belonged in a community, that I was loved and cared for. Not because I had been a part of them for a long time, not because I had done something amazing, but just by virtue of being a part 
I belonged. Fred Craddock is one of the great preachers of our time, and he is a, a Georgia legend, preached up in Cherry Log. He tells a story of uh, a vacation he and his wife took to Tennessee. And they sat down at, at a little diner in Tennessee and were getting ready to enjoy their meal when an older gentleman came up to their table and said, well, hey, how are you folks doing? I don't recognize you. What? They said, well, yeah, we're here on, on vacation. And uh, the older man, you know, was really chatty and Fred was kind of rolling his eyes. He just wanted to enjoy a nice meal with his wife. The man said, well, what is it you do for a living? And Fred thought, aha, this is what will get him to go away. Well, I'm actually a preacher, he said. Well, the man pulled up a chair. Have I got a preacher story for you? The man said he grew up in a small town raised by just his mother. He knew who his father was, but it wasn't exactly socially acceptable to claim him as his father. He was a, a quiet child growing up, always feeling like he was on the outside looking in. Didn't really want to talk to too many people for fear that they might ask about his dad and his illegitimacy. One day a new preacher moved to town and the little boy thought, well, I'll just go see what this guy's all about. He snuck in late so that no one would see him. He listened to this new preacher and he kind of liked him. And so he started coming each Sunday, coming in late so that no one would see him and then leaving early so that he wouldn't have to talk to anybody. One Sunday, though, he got so enthralled in the sermon and in the music that before he knew it, the service was over and he just couldn't get out of the aisles fast enough. Before he knew it, he felt a hand on his shoulder and his heart sunk. Here it is. I'm going to have to talk to him. He turned around and saw the preacher there. He said, well, hello, boy. I've seen you in here. Who are you? Whose son are you? The boy just couldn't bear it. How? Am I going to tell this preacher of all people that I really don't have a father? But before he could find the words to say, the preacher said, Oh, I know. I know exactly who you are. The resemblance is uncanny. You're the Son of God, a member of God's family. The old man finished his story to Fred and said, you know, my life has never been the same since. He got up from the table and left them to finish their meal. The waitress came over a few minutes later and said, oh, I hope he didn't disturb you too much. And they said, oh, no, 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 it's fine. She said, do you know who that was? I said, no, ma'am, we don't. She said, well, that was Ben Hooper, two-time governor of Tennessee. One small reminder 
that no matter who you think you are, you are first and foremost God's. You belong. My story, Fred Craddock's story, both very different, but both point to that central element of our faith, of what we believe, that we believe we belong. Not by virtue of what we've done, but because of who we are. We belong. No matter what the world wants to tell us about who we are, no matter what we think about who we are, God says, you belong. You belong with me. You belong in my family. You belong in my kingdom. And you belong to all of us as God's people. I mean, isn't that something that we're all after, right, in our lives? To know that we belong. And we try our hardest to find those places where we can belong, right? We may find it in a, in a group at work or maybe a club at school. In college, we might look for it in a, in a fraternity or in a sorority. As we grow up, we, we may find it in, in sports, either as part of a team or just as part of the fan base, that we belong. We might look for it at book clubs or bridge clubs, golfing foursomes or fantasy football leagues. We want to find a place where we belong. But as people of faith, as we tell our stories of belonging, we point to something greater than just a club or a group. We point to who we are as God's people. That that is first and foremost where we belong. And Jesus tells us these stories of belonging reminding us throughout his ministry. And today we look to the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. It's what I talked about with the children, but we'll read it up on the screens here. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them, but the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them. Because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Now every time I read this story, my eyes start to roll to the back of my head of the disciples. <laughs> How do they just not get it? Right? Don't they know that Jesus' message is come to welcome all people, to reach out to the least and the last and the lost? But just when my spiritual ego starts to inflate a bit, 
Just when I start to think, I mean, I'm not even with Jesus and I get it. What is wrong with these people? The Spirit starts to flow into my heart and uh, remind me that maybe I'm not so different. You see, in the, in the first century, children were much different than they are today, well, at least in the eyes of the adults around them, right? They weren't revered so much as we do today. Children then were seen as almost non-persons, right? They, they had no clout, they had no voice, they had no power. And so for, for the disciples to push them away, to scold them and send them back was less like, you know, shoving that freckle-faced little cherub away and more like pushing those aside who don't have a voice, who maybe we don't see that can make a difference, who we don't see could even hear the words of Christ. And so I start to retell the story in my head that instead of children being pushed away, it's the vulnerable, the outcast, the homeless, the immigrant, the doubter, the antagonizer, the non-believer. I mean, sure, we're willing to, to feed them, to clothe them, to write a check for them, and we will definitely pray for them, but to welcome them in and tell them, you belong. Well, I don't know many stories that end that way. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story, right? I mean, after all, the disciples were just trying to hold up those social standards of the day. Forgetting that Jesus came to turn those standards up on their heads. And we get caught in the same struggle, right? Trying to, to live into what the world expects. Forgetting what it is that Jesus expects from us. To reach out and to say, you belong. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you belong. This is your place. This is your home. You belong. That's why I'm so grateful for those in our community that are doing that hard work of reaching out to the least and the last and the lost, those who feel like they have been forgotten, those who feel like they are on the outside looking in and are willing to say, 
You are loved. You matter. You belong. Today, I'm excited to have a guest with us this morning. Janae Swanson-Brown is from the United Methodist Children's Home, which is one of our partners in ministry who is doing that hard work to reach out to the foster children of Georgia, those who are shuffled around, who so often hear the message that they don't have a place to belong. And yet because of people like Janae, they hear the truth that they do belong. So Janae, will you come and share your story with us? Good morning. Good morning. My husband and I have been foster parents since 2011. We have been fostering with the United Methodist Children's Home for the past 15 months. I am here this morning with you to share our story about the United Methodist Children's Home and how much of an impact churches like this, East Cobb UMC, and other churches can continue to support children and foster families here in the state of Georgia. There are 15,000 children in foster care just here in Georgia and could use all of our support. Everyone is not called to be a foster parent, but we are all called to help and support the lost and the least. Mark chapter 9, verse 37 says, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Founded in 1871, the United Methodist Children's Home initially provided orphanage care and higher education assistance. These were entirely financially supported by the Methodist churches in North Georgia. Over the past 147 years, the Children's Home expanded its services to reach more children in need of a safe and loving home. In 1973, while still offering group care, the United Methodist Children's Home became one of the first faith-based organizations to be licensed as a foster care agency in the state of Georgia and have now served over 6,000 children through foster care. As a foster care agency in Georgia, there are over 15,000 children who need a safe place due to abuse or neglect at home. And there is also a shortage of foster homes available for older children and sibling groups. The Children's Home, through four regional offices, is helping to fill this gap by finding loving, compassionate, and nurturing homes for children of all ages. Since 2010, the foster care program has grown from caring for only 18 children per day to caring for over 150 children a day in loving, compassionate, and nurturing homes. All the children that the Children's Home currently serves are placed with foster families, families just like yours and mine, caring, loving people who want to open their home to help children in need. By giving to the Amazing Grace offering today, you become a partner with the Children's Home in identifying, recruiting, training, and retaining incredible foster parents who will answer the courageous call 
to welcome a child or children into their home and add to their story. Your gift helps fill the gap between amount of funding that the children's home receives from the state and the actual cost of providing excellent care to the children when they need it most. Not only that, but 100% of your gift as an individual and as a church goes directly to meet the needs of the children that we care for. As you give to the offering today, be assured that your gifts from $5 to $1,000 combine with others across Georgia to make a significant difference in the lives of children entrusted to the children's home. Though much has changed, the children's home is still finding loving, compassionate, and nurturing homes for children and is serving more children than ever before. My husband and I began fostering because we kept hearing and seeing the need of foster parents for these children to have safe and loving homes. At the time, we did not have biological children, but had a home and a heart that we could help these children, love these children, and nurture these children. We signed up for classes to become, to become foster parents, and the rest is history. We have loved and parented children of all ages, all races, all religions. We have created bonds with some of these children that even when they leave to go home, we keep in touch. We have relationships with some of the birth parents, the goal of foster care is always reunification, but children don't always have that opportunity to go back to the homes to their parents or to anyone in their family. We stand in for those bio parents until an adoptive loving home is identified for these children. It is not easy by any means raising children that come in all shapes and sizes, all types of history and behaviors, but it is rewarding to see the difference that you make in the children's lives. Sometimes you do feel like they don't hear you and they're not listening, but at the end of the day, you know that in your heart what you are doing to help these children and being the safe place for them is what we are called to do. Churches such as this one can support foster families and foster parents by meeting the needs that the state cannot, creating a safe place for parents, whether that's just loving them when they come here on Sunday morning, providing a respite, a night out, a babysitting, a meal for a family that just got children at three o'clock in the morning, providing gift cards or making financial contributions to the Amazing Grace offering, and of course, praying for these families each and every day. Mark chapter 10, 13 through 17, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But then Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. As always, thank you East Cobb United Methodist Church for being a part of children's lives and the United Methodist Church's Children's Home 147 Year History and for helping us to transform the lives of children and families all across Georgia, then, now, and always. Janae, thank you for sharing your story with us. What's your story? What's your story of knowing you belong? 
And what's your story of reminding others that they belong? That they belong to God and that they belong to us as the family of God. May the lives we live tell the stories of our faith. What's your story? Let us pray. A holy and loving God, Lord, for the work of the children's home and all those who serve as foster parents, we are so grateful. We pray for your strength to surround them. For we know that it is hard work. But God, you are in it. It is what you have called us all to do. God, and I pray for anyone who is here who maybe is wrestling with a call to be a foster parent. May your spirit continue to move within them. Give them strength and wisdom in answering that call. And God, empower all of us that as we go throughout our days, we will not only know that we belong, but every face we see, every hand we shake, every eye we connect with, all belong to you. Help us to tell that story and to live that story. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.